Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Crime Ghoul, a true crime podcast where I'm your host, Brittany. I bring you all things true crime while I am accompanied by my bat piggy co-host, Kylo. That's my Frenchton puppy, who is a creepy, cuddly little bat. We're so happy to have you with us this Monday or whatever day you're tuning in. So we are in the middle of November. I am continuing with my notorious November-themed episodes, which you'll be familiar with if you've been following me on social media or if you've been following the podcast. So today, by popular demand, I am giving you the case of Lacey and Scott Peterson. You've definitely heard of it. If you don't know about it, I know you're familiar with the name because that's just how notorious it is. So I'm excited to bring you guys this episode. So get cozy, bring yourself away from your reality for a little while and delve into this true crime case with me. Go brew yourself a cup of coffee, perhaps pour yourself a glass of wine, or maybe you even want to take a shot of whiskey because this story is definitely not for the faint of heart. As always, thank you for listening. So I think most of us dream of an idyllic relationship, the kind of love that penetrates your soul so deeply that nothing else quite matters, or nothing compares. I truly believe that some of us find it, and then others, well, they find something much darker, something much more sinister. This was true for Lacey Denise Peterson, and this is the part where I give you the whole spiel about how beautiful and kind-hearted she was, and just about how everyone loved her. Now, that may be true, but I feel like in every Dateline or 48-hour episode, that's what you hear. Just about how beautiful and kind-hearted they were, and they had that smile that could light up the room. Well, there's so much more to Miss Lacey than that. She was born May 4th of 1975. She was the apple of her mother and father's eye, and her big brother adored her. Lacey was raised on a dairy farm with her whole family, and her parents would end up you know, ending their marriage in a divorce, unfortunately. And the kids would move away with their mom and visit their father on the weekends so they can still understand and know the work behind the dairy farm. Lacey proved to be extremely successful. She was a popular cheerleader in high school. She would go to college for ornamental horticulture. So she loved playing with plants and flowers and she loved knowing all about them. So when she could visit her friend on the weekend, she would. She had a bunch of friends all over the place, but she would mainly go visit this one friend who worked at a restaurant called Pacific Cafe. And that is where she would meet her downfall. She would meet her friend's co-worker, Scott Peterson. And I'm sure Scott needs no introduction, but get ready for a bumpy ride. And at the end, I want you guys to come up with your own conclusion, because I already know mine. Lacey was struck by this handsome guy. She would be bold and make the first move. She, she gave Scott her phone number. They would go on their first date and they would go deep sea fishing, which was pretty intense, especially for Lacey, considering she would often get seasick. And lo and behold, she got seasick the whole entire time she was on her first date with Scott. But nonetheless, they had so much fun. They both loved their first date. And Lacey already knew that Scott had caught her heart. Lacey would tell her mom all about this man that she just met and how wonderful and handsome she is, well, he is, and that she already knew that Scott would be the man she would marry. Sure enough, the two dated for two years and they'd end up moving in together. Lacey finished college and Scott was finishing his senior year and he was on his way to earn a bachelor's degree in agriculture, both successful academic students. During this time, Lacey would start a job while her boyfriend while her boyfriend Scott was doing some other things and besides getting ready to end senior year and make plans for what was ahead he had been cheating on Lacey with two different women if only Lacey would have known just how shitty of a person Scott was Scott and Lacey would get married and their life began to fall into place they both were successful graduate students they earned degrees they were going on to bigger and better things but despite their degrees, they actually decided to open up a, spar- a sports bar and they named it The Shack. 
After four years of a successful run, they knew it was time to start a real family. And in 2000, they would move back to Lacey's hometown, which is Modesto, California. And if you guys love Star Wars like I do, you may already know that George Lucas grew up in Modesto, California. And it was actually the premise for one of his really popular films. So this was the quintessential little rural area of California, the perfect place to raise a family. And both Lacey and Scott would get great jobs and they would buy their first home. Lacey became pregnant in 2002. So sounds pretty perfect to me, right? How about you guys? What do you think? Sounds like the American dream. And that's just what it was. The American dream was in full throttle for these two. And it's amazing how this still wasn't enough for a certain individual. Lacey loved being pregnant and her loved ones would teasingly call her the perfect housewife. She didn't mind because she loved being a wife and she was so excited to become a mother she loved her part-time job as a substitute teacher. She enjoyed cooking for her husband and guests, and she relished in hosting gatherings in her home. It was her favorite pastime. As Lacey enjoyed her quintessential life, her husband had other things in mind. Seemed like he always had other things in mind. So Scott's friend would introduce him to a massage therapist named Amber Fry. Oh, does that name sound familiar to you guys? Do you know who Amber Fry is? Well, you may know who she is, and it shouldn't come as a shock, because at one point, she was the talk of the nation. Needless to say, Mr. Peterson would tell Amber that he was single. And boy, was he ready to mingle, people. It just so happens that the friend who introduced Scott to Amber was actually a woman he was already having an affair with. But that woman was like, you know... I love Scott, I'm clingy to Scott and all that, but I think he would just be really great for my friend Amber. All the while, Scott is married to a woman named Lacey who's about to birth their firstborn child. I mean, if this doesn't already say a lot about his character, I don't know. And if you guys, if you guys are cheaters out there, listen, no judgment. But I have to say that from an outsider's point of view, I would never want that to happen to me. And Scott's seeming a little shady at this point. So, Amber and Scott soon began a romantic relationship, of course. Meanwhile, Lacey was creating the perfect home for her and Scott and their soon-to-be-born son, Connor. Lacey had begun designing a nursery for the baby, and it was nautical-themed, which to me sounds great. They even had a little lifesaver, one of those little donut lifesavers that you would throw in the water like a life preserver. They had one of those over the crib, and it said, Welcome aboard love that idea so much that one day I might actually steal it. Now we're going to fast forward right to December 23rd, 2002. Lacey had a half-sister. You see, her dad got remarried and had a child named Amy, who of course would become Lacey's half-sibling. On this day, Lacey and Scott paid Amy a visit at her job, and she worked at a local hair salon, and she cut Scott's hair once a month, so he was due for a cut. With Christmas just two days away, he needed to look spiffy, of course. So Amy ordered a fruit basket for her grandfather, and since Scott planned to go golfing the next morning, he offered to pick it up. After all, the location was so close to the course, why make Amy go all the way when Scott could just pick it up and bring it to dinner that night? So that evening, the couple would go home and Lacey would speak to her mom on the phone around 8.30 p.m. And, well, guys, Amy would be the second to last person to see Lacey alive. And Lacey's mother would be the last person to speak to her besides Scott. So December 24th would come and Scott would say that the last time he saw or spoke to Lacey was the morning at, well, that morning at 9.30 a.m. So, yeah, it's Christmas Eve at this point. And Scott had last seen Lacey at 9.30. He planned to go fishing at Berkeley Marina. And I know if you guys are paying attention, I know what you're thinking. Wasn't he supposed to go golfing and go pick up that fruit basket? Ah, yes. So the suspicion begins to seep in. Let it seep in, my friends, because this is just the beginning. Scott would claim that when he left the house, Lacey was watching a cooking TV show. She was preparing to mop the floor. She was going to bake cookies and they were going to, well, she was going to walk her dog, Mackenzie, at a nearby park. So around 10.30 a.m., one of the neighbors found 
Mackenzie, the Peterson dog. She's a golden retriever, by the way. And the neighbor found Mackenzie roaming around the front yard. So the neighbor opened the gate to the Peterson's backyard and left Mackenzie there because nobody was answering the door when she was knocking. So around 1045, just 45 minutes, well, I'm sorry, just 15 minutes later, another neighbor would see Mackenzie while he played catch with his own dog. So he too returned the dog to the Peterson's yard because nobody was answering the door. So later that afternoon, Scott claimed that he came home to an empty house. Lacey's car had still been in the driveway and Mackenzie was in the backyard, which he found a little odd. And he realized that Lacey was missing, but instead of like calling someone, he took his clothes off from the day and washed them allegedly, allegedly because they smelt like fish. And then he jumped in the shower. I don't know. Like, I feel like if my pregnant wife wasn't in the house immediately and my dog was outside in the backyard and we plan to have Christmas Eve dinner that evening. I don't know, guys. I'd be panicking a little bit. I wouldn't have time to really um, jump in the shower and all that. I'd be, I'd be calling my in-laws or my own parents and asking if they'd heard from Lacey. But I know everybody says we don't all react the same, so we'll keep that in mind. But mm, one could think. Scott would later tell the press that he filed a missing person report for Lacey. However, he was not the one who would do this. After Scott had showered and washed his laundry, he decided to call his in-laws and he told them that Lacey was missing. So, of course, you know, Lacey's mom is frantically worried and is like, where was she? What was she doing before you left? Yada, yada, yada. He would explain. So the first thing her mom did was jump in the car and go right to the park where she supposedly had been walking Mackenzie that morning. And Lacey's stepfather he actually was the one who called the police because his wife was too busy worrying about his about her daughter and was rightfully going to look for her scott hadn't called the cops yet so her stepfather was like what the hell where's where is my daughter because yes he did call lacy his own daughter so he phones the police and the police would arrive at the peterson home that evening they found lacy's purse in a closet with her wallet keys and sunglasses inside as we all know, that is definitely not a good sign. The dining room was set and prepared for a family dinner that they were supposed to host. And on the kitchen counter, they found something. A detective found a phone book opened up to a full page of contact information. Forget this. A defense lawyer. I don't know. <laughs> something smells fishy to me. That evening, the lead investigators questioned Scott and he would tell them that he went fishing 90 miles away from their home but in the beginning of questioning he told them that he went golfing so scott told them he called lacy around 2 p.m to tell her that he was on his way home from the marina but again here's scott did you go fishing did you go golfing why'd you tell them you went golfing when you actually went fishing what about grandpa's damn fruit basket mm. well well it wasn't grandpa it was stepdad-in-law i guess excuse me jump the gun but you can see how apprehensive i am about this already so the investigators initiated a search party and they found something very strange about this man scott he was calm cool and collected he didn't ask any questions like are you guys going to call me what's the next step in this search effort do i stay home do i go out and search well, what happens next? Or can I call you with any questions I have? Like if a question pops into my head or I remember something in the middle of the night, who can I call to let them know maybe this will help fund my wife? No, these were all things left out. He was just very calm, cool and collected. Like he already knew what was to come and what the next steps were going to be, which raised a very big red flag. So the search for Lacey was intense, as I'm sure you can all imagine. There were helicopters equipped with searchlights police mounted on horseback and bicycles, canine units galore. There were also water rescue units. A total of 30 officers were involved in the search, as well as Lacey's loved ones and volunteers. The volunteers posted flyers to raise awareness of her disappearance. Those flyers got out like lickety split. There wasn't a moment to waste. 
So the main detective working on the case did a press conference and stated that they did not believe Lacey would just leave her home without contacting anyone. It was out of character for her. And for someone who's pregnant and expecting to have family over, I don't think she would leave without telling anybody. So family and friends would continue to search for Lacey and there would be a vigil held soon after. And within two days, 900 people would become involved. Before he knew it, Lacey's disappearance would attract nationwide media attention. Rewards would be posted for any inf information leading to the whereabouts of Lacey. It increased from $25,000 to $250,000 to $500,000 for any leads. A website was launched for Lacey's story. Her friend's husband set that up and a makeshift Lacey Peterson Command Center was set up by local volunteers. Family and friends also helped in the efforts, of course, they helped mostly, and this command center would actually be located in a local hotel. Posters and ribbons were handed out by over 1,500 volunteers. Everyone wanted to know what happened to Lacey Peterson. As we can see, the whole town and country wanted to bring her home. So I'm going to rewind for a moment, and I'm going to bring you back to how I mentioned that there was a vigil held. So here's the thing. This is mainly when people started to question and become extremely concerned about Scott's behavior. He had not shed a tear once for his wife. At this memorial service that evoked tears in the volunteers and supporters in the crowd, he still had not shed one. So let's look at the facts so far that I've already kind of gone through, but just to emphasize them so you see where I'm going here. One, Scott didn't call the police. Lacey's stepfather had to do that, and her mother was the one who frantically made her way to the park that Lacey supposedly went to with her dog. Scott hadn't done either of the things. Two, at the volunteer center, Scott wasn't allowing anyone to post photos of Lacey with him. He did not want his face on missing posters. He didn't want it anywhere. They had bulletin boards where they would post Lacey's picture, so every volunteer that came through, any detective, even when the FBI agents got involved everybody would know her face that captivating smile that beautiful brunette pregnant woman you couldn't you it would just become ingrained in your brain but these volunteers weren't allowed to post pictures of her and scott he wasn't allowed well he wouldn't let them put him on these bulletin boards that's bizarre considering a majority of Lacey's photos consisted of scott and three, at the vigil that was held for Lacey, the family stood up on stage and spoke to the masses that were there to show their support. But Scott was not on the stage. Instead, he was mingling. And not only was he mingling, he was calling his mistress Amber Fry. So this is we, where we leave off before a few months pass. You know, the search efforts for Lacey never stopped. There were countless interviews, and then something really, really strange happened. On April 13, 2003, a couple walking their dog found the decomposing but well-preserved body of a late-term male fetus. He was found in a marshy area of the San Francisco Bay in Richmond Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park. This was north of Berkeley. That's right, the marina where Scott went fishing. The baby's umbilical cord was still attached. It appeared that it was not cut or clamped as in a normal practice after birth. A, ju a judge would later seal the aut autopsy results and an anonymous Associated Press source revealed that 1.5 loops of nylon tape were found around the fetus's neck and a significant cut was on the fetus's body. One day later from finding this fetus, a passerby found the body of a recently pregnant woman. She was wearing beige pants and a maternity bra. She was washed up on the eastern rocky shoreline of the San Francisco Bay, just one mile from where that baby's body was found. The corpse was so decomposed, it was almost unrecognizable. It didn't look like a human body at all. It looked just like bloated flesh. That's the best way I can describe it. And the passerbys thought maybe it was a seal at first, but upon getting closer, there was no doubt that it was a human torso. 
that had been found. Yeah, that's right. The woman's head was gone. Her limbs were missing, including most of her legs. And on April 18th, 2003, of course, after collecting both bodies, the results of a DNA test would verify that both of these bodies were that of Lacey and her unborn son, Connor Peterson. The autopsies on both bodies were performed ironically by a forensic pathologist named Dr. Brian Peterson. And no, he wasn't related to Scott. It, that's just the irony of it, I guess. So according to this autopsy, Connor's skin was not decomposed at all, but the right side of his body was mutilated and the placenta and umbilical cord were not found with the body. Lacey's cervix was still intact and the exact date and cause of Lacey's death were never determined. She suffered two cracked ribs, but Dr. Peterson could not determine if this occurred before or after her, de her death. So right here, is where things really become difficult because Lacey's cervix was intact. I mean, from the information gathered from reading the autopsy, it would seem that um, Lacey did have a laceration above her cervix. So it is believed that Connor m somehow made its way through that laceration and floated up to the San Francisco Bay. And that's why he was so well preserved. But that would mean the baby was not born the baby was still in in the womb and he just can't tell because of such such the high like oh my god the crazy amount of decomposition the doctor couldn't even figure out what caused Lacey to die and this sucks because that's important information but also Lacey's upper torso had been emptied of internal organs except for her uterus which protected Connor's feet, like the fetus that was Connor Peterson. So again, this explained the lower level of decomposition that was experienced for Connor's body. So the media would get involved. The Associated Press observed that the doctor's testimony appeared contradictory at times. Though he stated that no cause of death could be determined for Lacey or Connor, he also said it was her death that caused Connor's death while he was still in the uterus. But I guess one could say that they don't know the cause of death, but whatever it was, caused the death of the baby as well. So, as we can all tell, the investigation into Scott Peterson was damning. It was found that Scott had numerous extramarital affairs, and one of which Lacey did know about. The most recent was that of the massage therapist named Amber Fry and she was a single mother. She had one daughter, and she was from nearby Frenzo, California. So like I kind of have mentioned, um, Scott's other affair, other woman he was having an affair with, is the one who introduced him and Amber. The two had a month-long whirlwind romance, and when Amber was notified by one of her co-workers that Scott Peterson had been on the media, she quickly looked into this. She had brought Scott to her Christmas company party and her co-workers recognized him immediately because he just had this, I want to say like, grown frat boy look. And no, no disrespect to anyone in frats, I don't care, as long as you're being respectful and, um, you know, doing your frat things that aren't wrong, which I hope you all that are involved with the frat were doing the good things and being respectful. But anyway, Scott looked like a frat boy or like a football player grown up. Like, not that there's not grown football players, but like, you know, the high, high school star football player, but in the adult world now and not in professional football. If that makes sense. I hope it does. It makes sense in my head, but yeah, so... Her co-workers recognized him and were like, Amber, you need to go look at the news because your boy Scott, he's all over the news right now. So, of course, Amber heard why he was on the news and because his wife went missing on Christmas Eve. And what would you know? She was in shock because Scott said he was single and that he had just lost his wife. That's right, people. He told Amber Fry that the holidays were going to be difficult for him because he just lost his wife. Amber felt for him, felt, you know, 
heartbreak for this man and she believed him and now she's seeing this is how she's finding out that the man she was falling in love with was a liar and an infidel and his pregnant wife was missing and he had already said before christmas that he would have to spend the holidays without her because he lost her what does that sound like to you guys so of course amber being a good person because she is well so it seems you know i don't know her from a hole in the wall but from all the research i've done she seems like pretty truthful and honest so immediately after seeing that she ran to the police and were like listen i've been dating this man scott peterson and he told me he was single he told me he lost his wife and he was gonna have to go through this holiday season alone and i i can't believe this is happening i swear i didn't know he had a wife so the police are like all right we're gonna use this to our advantage does he know that you know she says no he doesn't i haven't said anything to him yet so that's when the police and Amber start working together and they're gonna try to nab this guy. And I'm gonna provide you guys with a couple of clips. So here's the first one, cause you have to hear it. So this is gonna be Diana Sawyer's interview with Scott Peterson. Now I tried to find very specific clips here with Amber Fry and Scott having phone conversations, but it was just too complicated. So basically, by this point, Amber has already worked with the police. She has phone tapped him and has recorded several conversations in which one of those phone calls took place during Lacey's vigil back in like January, like the, big, the first week of January. And he told her that he was in Paris celebrating the new year and how he wished he could hold her and be with her. Meanwhile, he wasn't in Paris. The freaking weirdo was at the vigil so i don't know i just can't you know what kudos to amber fry for saying so stoic because i would have been like oh yeah you're at a vigil your mother you know just went off i would have went off on a tangent but amber would make a press conference after getting all this information her and the police needed from scott she wouldn't even tell scott that she was going to do a press in press conference this is how Scott would find out that Amber knew exactly who he was and exactly who Lacey Peterson was. And just like she found out from the media, he found out from the media. So listen closely. And again, this is Diane Sawyer from Good Morning America with Scott Peterson. Why were you doing it? I, I can't answer. I don't know. That's a, a question you should have an answer to. Definitely not. I, I don't know. Were you in love like with her? No. I'd have to say that I respect her. And as I imagine everyone does after seeing her come out and do the press conference, an amazing character she has. Was this the first time? Are there others out there? No. There's no one else who can come forward? No. You know, our romantic relationship. And that is a... It, it's inappropriate. It, it was inappropriate, and I owe a tremendous uh, apology to, to everyone, obviously in, including Amber and her family and her friends and, and our families. Uh, it should have been, it should have been brought forth by me immediately, the, the romantic relationship. Had you told anyone? Did you tell police? Told the police immediately. When? That was uh, the first night we were together. The police, I spent um, with the police. You told them from, about her? Yeah, from December 24th on. Did your wife find out about it? I told my wife. When? In um, early December. Did it cause a rupture in the marriage? It was not um, a positive, obviously. It's a you know, inappropriate, um, but it was not something that we weren't um, dealing with. A lot of arguing? No. No, um, I, I, you know, I can't say that, that even, you know, she was okay with the idea, but uh, it wasn't anything that would break us apart. There wasn't a lot of anger? No. Do you really expect people to believe that an eight and a half month pregnant woman learns her husband has had an affair 
and is saintly and casual about it? Accommodating? Makes a peace with it? Well, I, yeah, I, you don't know. No one knows our relationship but us. Um, and that's at peace with it, not happy about it. Why did you tell her? So, let's just think about that for a moment. To me, he didn't even sound like a human being while speaking, because I think any man out there would know that his woman would not be okay with her man cheating on her. I mean, maybe there are some of you out there who don't care, but you're eight and a half months pregnant and you don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't sound right to me, Scotty boy. And Amber Fry, she's a good, her great character for going up for that press conference. Like, you're just trying so hard at this point not to show any anger. Or maybe you really feel nothing at all. Like, maybe he truly feels nothing at all and he's just sociopathic. I just feel like he is telling the nation what they want to hear. He's telling Diane Sawyer what they want to hear. And he's playing, he's playing the role of human. But he's not human. He is, but like, he just is so inhumane. I don't even think he understands. I, I just don't think he understands the severity of the situation and... You know, I told her I had an affair. She wasn't mad. There was no anger. No, no. We didn't erupt in any anger. You know what? There was no emotion. There was no sadness. She wasn't upset that you were a cheater. And you allegedly told her about it. And I don't know. I don't know, guys. But that's what we got going on here. After Amber Fry came forward with all this information with the police, of course, Scott was um quickly arrested and where was he arrested everybody after these bodies were found and then after amber fry came forward you'll never believe this so <laughs> he was <laughs> i just laughed because it's so funny to me but so the police were following scott from his residence and he was getting ready to go golfing with his family so he says so Scott knows that he's being followed, but he thinks it's by the media. So he's trying to outrun them. He's flipping the bird at them, just trying to get away from them. He's calling his dad and like, listen, I'm being followed. I don't know if I could come golfing or whatever. And after like an hour of roaming around and trying to lose these people, you know, he just goes to their country club that they play at. And as soon as Scott parks the car, the cops come out. They're undercover police officers. They arrest him on the charges of murder for Lacey and Connor Peterson. And what they find in his car is wild, wild. They find $15,000 worth of cash, a bunch of his belongings, a knife, camping equipment, photos, like just a photograph of him and Lacey and his ID, a fake ID, his brother's ID. And nonetheless, his hair is dyed blonde. So what does this sound like to you guys? Because to me and to a lot of people, it sounds like he was getting ready to go on the run. His father would claim that he was living out of his car because going home to his residence, he was constantly bombarded with media. So when he would see like the media gathered around his home, he would just go sleep in his car somewhere to get some peace and quiet. But you're telling me you're carrying around $15,000 worth of cash when you're like one of the most hated men in America and you dye your hair blonde for what reason? Why'd you dye your hair blonde? Mm, to look more like your brother? Or was it just so you weren't recognizable to the public? Which one was it? So they would question him and be like, why do you have your brother's um, photo identification? And you know, him and his father made up a lie and said that he would get a 20% off discount, you know, if he was his brother so he would just pretend to be his brother at the golf course and get that 20% off discount mm, okay I'm sure so I don't know I think that they were meeting up at the golf you know to go golfing as a goodbye and Scott was going to be on his way and he was going to skirt right out of here to just avoid the mayhem because he knew it was crashing down on him everything was crashing down on him how did he look and 
you know, people who are in defense of Scott Peterson will say, oh, well, the media painted him to be a bad person. No, his decisions did that. The moment he decided to cheat on his wife, even when she was just a fiance or a girlfriend, um, the fact that he didn't call the police first, the fact that he didn't run to that park to go see what happened, uh, he just got in the shower and washed his clothing. It, that's just bizarre. And the fact that he told Amber Fry that he was going to have difficulties this holiday season because he lost his wife. So now the court hearings, of course, go on for a really long time. And it was a fight to get like a fair jury because so many people knew this case. It was internationally covered like hell. It was all it was nat- like it, it. It wasn't just like you know known in the united states it was known all over the world everybody knew who this beautiful brunette pregnant mama to be was and everyone knew who scott peterson was so despite him wanting his pictures everywhere they were all over the damn world so you know it was hard to get anybody who didn't know of the case and you know they started having people take surveys and all of this stuff. Do you know who Scott Peterson is? Do you know who Lacey Peterson is? Do you know what this case is about? Um, are you biased? You know, just all these like weird questions or whatever. And of course, people were lying because this was going to be one of the trials of the century. This was the biggest thing since OJ. So there were actually jurors lying because they wanted to see Scott Peterson fry. They wanted to give him the death penalty because the death penalty is legal in, um, well, it is a thing in California, so there were people who were actually trying to get sent there, you know, to be a juror. So, of course, you know, they were figuring this out, and they were trying to be really diligent about getting a jury, so, and to find the most, like, the most people who would give, who would say they would give Scott a fair trial, that they wouldn't put their bias in it, they would take the clues and evidence and everything that's presented in court, and they were going to treat it fairly and, you know, with justice. So they would get this whole jury together and whatnot. And there was one juror that was proving difficult. He was very adamant about Scott being guilty, of course. Um, So, you know, he would just kind of sway everyone. And it was just apparent he was biased. And he would end up leaving. So they'd have to find another juror. So they brought in a woman and she went by Strawberry Shortcake because she had bright red hair. And, you know... They had to determine whether this man was innocent or guilty. And the crazy thing about all of this, um, well, you know what? I'll get to that in a second. Let me, I'm just going to provide you with a short clip that came from the news kind of about what was going on in court, just so you guys can hear that. Hold on one sec. Sandy, those audio tapes took up most of the day, which is why Amber Fry was not on the stand for long. The jury heard how Scott Peterson was still charming Fry, even though his wife had been missing for more than a week. The voices of Scott Peterson and Amber Fry filled the courtroom today when prosecutors played audio tapes of lengthy conversations the two shared in early January of 2003. You know, what really struck me in listening to those tapes is how little Scott Peterson cared about his wife and child. On New Year's Day, Peterson claims he's in Paris. When Fry questions him on where their relationship is going, Peterson responds, You know, in my mind, we could be wonderful together, and I could care for you in any and every way. For the rest of our lives, I think we care for each other and Ayana. We could fulfill each other. Peterson made reference to their future together several times during the nearly hour-long conversation. Scott says that though they have not been together long, he feels the loving, the energy, and it's only growing. Later in the conversation, Fry brings up the topic of having another child. Fry says, do you still feel that you're very adamant about not having another child? Peterson says, oh, I wouldn't say adamant, but it's not in my thoughts currently. At this point, Peterson's pregnant wife, Lacey, had been missing for eight days. During their conversation the next day, Peterson tells Fry he took a train to Brussels. He complains of being tired because his day was very long and boring. He also complains of having a sore hip. Peterson says he fell while he was out jogging on a cobblestone street. During a January 4th conversation... Yeah, so just as a juror, even, you have to think, like, you have to wonder, what would you be thinking right now? So I found it interesting because Scott, like that clip just said, Scott told um, 
Amber, he hurt his hip falling, you know, on the cobblestone. I wonder, like, did, was he really running and he fell and hurt himself on the cobblestone? Or was it from dumping his um, wife's body in the marina where he said he went fishing that day? Hmm. I don't know. But a couple of other interesting about interesting things about this case. Scott purchased a boat and um, swore that, you know, it was supposed to be a gift for Lacey's father and everything. And it was a tiny little boat, kind of like a dinghy, if you will. And, um, you know, Lacey's family found it really odd that they were never told about this boat. But supposedly that was that was um, Lacey's father's gift. So I don't know about that. But a lot of people were wondering with expert testimony, how, how would he have been able to dump a body? The body was about 180 pounds. So, you know, forensic investigators were actually putting 180 pound weight on the boat to see if it would capsize and it would. So there were a couple of interesting findings there. So would, would he have even been able to dump Lacey's body? And just from the sheer amount of evidence, um, the forensic experts were also guessing that there had been four weights tied down to Lacey's body, and she was dumped into the San Francisco Bay. And the reason why they thought they were makeshift weights was because Scott had all of um, the makings of these weights in his boat garage. So, it just really weird stuff. So they were thinking that he had to have thrown the body in with weights, but that little boat wouldn't have held that much weight. It would have capsized. And how was he going to get through the marina without anybody seeing that body? I mean, unless he covered it with like blankets or something, but how was he getting it into the boat? So, you know, a couple of weird things about that, you know, maybe in favor of Scott, but then there was something very weird to the lead detective. The lead detective would, you know, get a search warrant for the house. They investigated the house, found nothing, but the detective would want to see the boat at the boathouse where he, you know, rented a spot for his boat. And Scott would be like, yeah, no problem. So they'd go in, but the lights were off. And the detective explained how he had to put his headlights on, like his own car headlights and face it towards like the boat garage because he needed to see inside. And Scott would say, yeah, you know, the power, it went out like a few days ago and it just hasn't turned back on yet. So I'm really sorry. So he'd be looking around and the detective didn't see anything weird, but you know, he just had a very strange feeling in his gut. He would go back and he would speak to the owner and be like, yeah, you know, um, maybe I can help you with getting the power fixed. And he was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, Mr. Peterson, who owns a spot for his boat, was saying that the power went out and he had no lights. And he goes, well, that never happened. Like, look, and he brought him in there and sure enough, put the lights on. And this was a few days after. So again, Scott was caught in yet another lie. So he lied to Amber. He lied to the police. He lied to his in-laws. He probably lied to Lacey and Lacey had no idea about the infidelity, which I don't know. Who knows? One would think that she, with the amount of people he cheated on her with, she probably was kind of aware, but she never expressed that to her family. So the family was completely in shock and, you know, at first, they were all for him until after Lacey went missing, you know, all this stuff started coming up and they were like, oh, shit, maybe he is, he is the killer. So, yeah, that's it. That's the rundown at this point. So they're in court and this is the only evidence they have is kind of like circumstantial, if you ask me, like the whole fact that um, Scott went fishing 90 miles away on the day that they were going to have Christmas Eve dinner. He had secret Amber Fry, who he never told police about, but would tell Diana Sawyer, he even lied to Diana Sawyer, forgot about her, would tell Diana Sawyer that he had notified the police the first night that Lacey went missing about her Amber Fry and his relationship, but he never did that. So the list just goes on and on, and this man, like, the thing with lying is, um, someone could be a really good liar but it's hard to remember all of the lies you've told so he starts forgetting who he told what to and before you know it he's just got all fingers pointing at him and for good reason so this is everything that was presented to the court the fact that Lacey's body was found in such a disfigured way um, it was believed that the currents in the San Francisco Bay, because there had been a storm right before her body and Connor's body showed up, 
is believed that that current and the tide, you know, were moving Lacey's body, I guess, and from the decomposition and the water, like, the water, obviously it was a submerged body, tissues becoming soft, like, that's kind of what happened once, um, you know, the baby exited the womb, she soon came to float too, float right up to the surface, and it, you know, I guess the anchor ropes or whatever was holding her down by the anchor snapped, and unfortunately, maybe it went right through her limbs, and that's why she had no limbs, because they had no evidence of her being dismembered. There are specific signs if she would have been dismembered by a knife, and there was none of that, so it kind of just looked like, you know, the weights just went right through, like, whatever was, I don't know if it was rope, whatever the hell it was, it just went right through her body parts. So one had to be on the neck, two to weigh down the arms, two to weigh down the legs. So that's what the courts presented with, and obviously Amber Fry testified. The family was able to speak, whatever witnesses they had, and Scott was pleading innocent, so the jury had to come up with the verdict, and well, lo and behold, they found Scott Peterson to be guilty. He was charged with murder for both, you know, first-degree murder for Lacey and Connor, and whatever other charges come with that, because I'm sure there were a surplus, and he was sentenced to death. So, even without a bot, well, the body was found, but without evidence of how she died for all we know it could have been strangulation but because her head was missing and like her neck um her neck was attached to her head we couldn't really tell if she was strangled and the state of decomposition just made it so difficult so really they went based off of scott's character and you know i think the lies speak for itself and excuse me if you think i'm a little rash or harsh but i totally believe he did it I want you guys to tell me what you think because I am so interested and I have listened to the experts that believe that Scott is innocent including his defense attorney and other like other psychologists and forensic experts that were really in on this case you know who spent a lot of time with Scott they were saying that he just isn't the person who could do this like he couldn't do this the way he is how upset he is and he claimed that he remained stoic during all the interviews and everything because he knew people were going to play him up for the man who wanted a new life and decided to kill his wife. So I guess for some reason he thought not showing emotion would help. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me either. So I totally think he's guilty. So a few years ago, a new governor, be, you know, was elected in California and that governor does not agree with the death penalty. So Scott Peterson and every other inmate that were on death row, it's been paused because this governor doesn't believe in it and did whatever they their power can do. And right now these men are on pause for death row. And I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this because I do really agree with the death penalty. Totally agree with it. And you know, when the sentence was had after the jury came up with a verdict or, um, or right before, however, the court proceedings happen, you know, the the attorneys were talking to the family and asked if they would want to seek the death penalty of Scott Peterson. And they said, yeah, if, if we can, if he's found guilty, absolutely. And for me, I, I can't even believe I'm saying this because, like I said, I am pro death penalty. And I'm sorry if you guys don't agree. We're all entitled to our opinions and all have our different reasons. But with that being said, um, I don't know if I could have convicted him to death just because, like, I still, like, as a juror, if I was one, I still didn't know how she actually died. But, I mean, at the same time, a part of me is like, come on, body turns up in this marina 90 miles away. He had a mistress. He didn't want a child. I mean, his mistress already had one, but it wasn't his own kid. Like, you know, it's not the same as your own blood, I guess, for some people. I don't know. I know the evidence just points to him. But for me, in my own conscience, I don't know if I could have sentenced him to death just in that case that maybe he didn't do it. But 
a bunch of people would say that they did see Lacey that morning that she went missing walking her dog Mackenzie, but there was actually another um, woman in the area who looked like Lacey, but she wasn't pregnant. She was just overweight, and she came out and said, listen, you guys could have mistook me for her because I have a golden retriever too, and I'm a brunette, and we look the same, except Lacey's pregnant. I'm not. So, you know, that was kind of thrown out of there really early on. But who knows? This is one of those cases where I hope when I die, I just get the answers to the universe, like John Benet Ramsey and some other weird cases. You know, I just want answers. I want to know what happened to them. And I truly want to know what happened to Lacey. Like, did Scott kill her? I definitely think so. But how did he kill her? Did he strangle her? Probably. <sighs> God, I think Lacey was not ready to rest at peace, and those tides just worked with her, and she wanted to make sure that mother sucker went to jail for what he did. And the universe has a very strange way of making things work, and sometimes things are just meant to be, so. But yeah, shit gets even weirder, people, because <laughs> Scott just filed another appeal, and... His case is going to be re-examined because Miss Strawberry Shortcake, I'm pretty sure, that juror, it was found that she was actually involved with some other legal, um, I don't want to say obligations, but she had some other legal things going on, like a court battle going on with um, her spouse who was domestically abusing her. So that's actually not allowed to happen. Like you can't be going through the court system and also be a juror at the same time. It's a conflict of interest. So now, thank you, Miss Juror, that is giving Scott his out, and he might have his whole entire sentence reevaluated. So get ready for this, because as if 2020 couldn't be shitty enough, Scott Peterson might get out of jail. And whatever. I mean, justice is justice. Our system is flawed, though. I have so many feelings about this case, and I'm sure everybody else does, but... Go on my social media, go on my Facebook, it's Crime Ghoul, um, go to my Instagram, Crime, Crime Ghoul underscore, check me out on Twitter, Crime Ghoul, wherever you can find me, and let's talk about this. Do you think Scott was innocent? Do you think he was guilty? What do you think, guys? And as always, you can find a bunch of photographs to go with the case on my Facebook and Instagram, so you can kind of follow along. But other than that, that's all I have for you guys. That is my take on the Scott and Lacey Peterson case. Let me know what you think. Leave me a review. And until next time, my friends, I will see you later. I'm so excited to give you next week's episode. And pay attention to my social media accounts because I might drop some hints as to what case it is. But for the most part, I don't even really want to tell you guys because I want it to be a surprise. So... Until then, bye!